0: Welcome to the Connect Church podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So what we find here is in order to be a priest, she had to be of the tribe of Levi. But also Elizabeth, his wife, is is also one of the daughters of Aaron, uh, one of the Levites. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, this couple wanted to have more than anything a, a child. And uh, they had seen doctors perhaps and done all of the things that families back then would have done. And the reason that we know that they, this was a, a, a heavy desire in their heart, we, we will learn about in just a few moments. But uh, there had been uh, difficulties, we know from history, of couples who were barren. Uh, let me go ahead and I'll just say... Barren may mean without children, but the word here is stera, which is where we get our word sterile from. So she's not just without child, she is actually incapable of having children. Knowing God's silence uh, was not merely this couple's experience. Could you imagine, like many of you no doubt can, uh, crying out to the Lord for something as significant as this, and not really hearing back from the Lord. But the nation of Israel, I believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth are kind of a microcosm of what's going on in the world around them because Israel itself had not heard from God in over 400 years, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 430 years. They had not heard God's voice. There had not been a fresh prophet There was no continuing reminder of a coming Messiah. He had not come yet. There was nothing manifested at the temple, much just Rome in control. And I'm sure that many that had followed God and were following God felt as if they were forgotten by God. Many Israelites had gotten on with their lives. They were living for what they could see and what they could feel and what they could taste and for the day's reward rather than remembering the promise of God. And they had tried to build a life with little thoughts to God or His Word. And after all, God was silent, right? If God's going to be silent, we'll just be silent back. And so they had begun to just simply go through the motions. Now Israel had done this numerous times before. They would still go sacrifice. They would still go pray. They would still do all of their rites of passages and all of their feast days, but truly just going through the motions. They were not expecting anyone to talk back in their prayers. In fact, they had grown cold to the fact of expecting anything, any special relationship, any special Word of knowledge, any new revelation, any fresh encounter, any new word, no new blessing. 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament of complete silence from God. Now, when we hear a book that's written across 4,000 years, 400 doesn't seem to be that long. And when you start thinking about people like Methuselah who lived just short of a 1,000 years, you think of this great span. But can you imagine? I mean, we're going back now into the 1500s. How far removed do we feel from the 1500s? It was a whole other world, a whole other life. Everything is completely different. The stories are different. Did that person really exist? Did they really experience what they thought they experienced? Were any of those experiences real? Is this story true or is this story false? How would we know? There's no one here that can verify. That's exactly what Israel was going through right now. Is God really our God? There has been no miracles. There have been no Mount Sinai's. There's been no giving of the Ten Commandments. There's really no new information. Maybe everything that our great, 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 great grandparents believed... Maybe it wasn't even true. After all, Rome has now come in, and they have a pantheonic god that they worship and that they serve, but they were so stubborn that they decided to continue to operate the way they had only oper- always operated, but their hearts were far from expecting God to move. The voices of career, family, survival, politics, holidays, uh, comfort, spoke much louder than anything they could hear from God. And so it makes a lot more sense then to base your life on what you can see, taste, and touch than a story that you heard about a long time ago. Now, what's true for them is also true for us. It is true that since Jesus came and now we have the Holy Spirit, it seems like Christians have fewer and fewer personal encounters with an Almighty God. After all, we elevate His Word as his complete, uh, our complete understanding of who He is. And so our experiences are fewer and fewer. And some even grasp for experiences that may not be able to be validated at all as proof of some sort of belief or, uh, or a relationship with God. I say all that simply to say, when there is a lack of proof, we typically then turn to be validated by what we can see, what we can touch, what we can feel such as actually modern Christianity. If we're not having a personal encounter with Jesus Christ irregularly, we will, in pretty shorter order, get pretty comfortable conforming to the ways of the world around us. Oh, we'll still go to church. We'll still value the Bible. We'll still do all those things that Christians do. But in here, just going through the motions. We might pray, but we don't expect to hear. We might cry out, but we don't expect to be healed. So Luke describes this couple as upright and observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Now, this wasn't just Zachariah's job. It was their heart. He and his wife, they had this in common. They had a long-lasting thousands of years of legacy from generation to generation. They weren't only listening to God's word from long ago. They were actually doing God's word from their heart. And their lives were built around it. But even the blameless and the faithful, the upright struggle to trust God's word from time to time. Especially because what we want is a wonderful life now. You know, what is a wonderful life? If I were to ask you, would you like to have a wonderful life? You would say, yes. What is a wonderful life? Here's what I have, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. You can, you can do this work for yourself too. But what is a wonderful life? A wonderful life is one that I can control. One with results instead of long periods of silence and disappointment. So let me, let me begin by asking you this question. What life, what life are you going after? what life are you going after? The wonderful life that you can see and feel or are you going after a life that is firmly devoted to God's promises regardless of what you can see and feel, regardless of the way the world goes? Which direction are you headed right now? Not in a normal world, right now. Which direction are you headed? Trusting God's faithfulness, trusting His Word, trusting the stories of our past that we cling to Or going along with the ebb and flow of the world around us. Making confessions and declarations, but not truly walking uprightly and blamelessly. What we see here in Luke 1 is that God will fulfill His promise and God will prepare His people for salvation. Our response is to simply be one of trust and one of joy. And that's what the news of Christmas really is, is learning to trust God's promises and find joy in them instead of controlling our own lives. So let's move now to verse 8. First, we're going to look at the promise. <clears throat> now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, you know, the priests were kind of like an army. They were built around divisions. Elizabeth will bear you a son. You call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Get that. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the Father to the children and to disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You see, God is about to do something. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. My wife is advanced in years. What Zechariah is saying is, okay, listen to this. An angel in the temple just appeared to him and talked to him and told him what the next few days are going to look like. And Zechariah said, how am I going to know this is true? So for those of you who want an angel to come and tell you or you want God to speak to you from the heavens, it will never be enough. Right here is where you have to believe, not here. Right? Zechariah said, I want a sign. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I, (laughs) behold, you will be silent, unable to speak, until the day of these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You want a sign? I'm an angel giving you the words of God. And you want a sign? Here's your sign. (laughs) Mute. And I like to think of Gabriel actually doing that. I think it adds value. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. We can imagine what those signs might be. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Hey, listen, Zechariah wins the lottery because what Scripture doesn't tell us but history does is there are 18,000 priests on duty. And Zechariah wins. He gets the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go and be the one to burn the incense in the holy place. Now, listen, don't be too naive when you read Scripture because I know they're on almost every page. But angel appearances are very rare. They don't happen often. And I know sometimes we look at people like Moses and Abraham and think, man, they're just traipsing off in the woods talking to God all the time. And the truth of the matter is, they may have had a few encounters with the voice of God across the span of 150 years. You know, you think about Abraham, he gets kind of worn out after 20 years of waiting in silence, from God's voice. So, when we think about M- Moses, heard from God, and then heard from Him forty years later, and then heard from Him forty years later. So, these men that we put into the proximity of God, of knowing God intimately, still rare occurrences. When Zechariah goes into the temple, this is a—I mean, it's a knee trembling moment. In fact, the word tells us that he was terrified at this angel. But after Gabriel tells Zachariah not to be afraid because this is so out of left field and so unexpected. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Even though Zechariah is blameless, he is upright, he is holy, he has led his family well, he is in the place of expectation, in the place of God's presence. And when an angel shows up, He is startled. So even in his expecting, does Zechariah truly expect an encounter from God? Even when he has the encounter with God, does he trust it? No. In fact, Gabriel says, your prayer has been heard. Prayer, singular. Your prayer has been heard the question that everybody wants to know is what prayer is this the prayer that Zechariah is praying on behalf of his people if it, is this the prayer of consecration that he is responsible for while he's burning incense no gabriel actually answers and says this prayer that you're praying this one moment of opportunity i don't know when's the last time zechariah prayed this prayer scriptures already told us they're way past childbearing years do you think that he's still praying for this how long has God been waiting to tell Gabriel to tell Zechariah that his prayer's been answered from his youth? Your prayer's been answered. What prayer? Well, I think it's a twofer. You know what? It's a twofer, two for one, right? Because he's been praying for his son, but he's also been praying for the salvation of Israel. He's already won the lottery once today. Here he gets a twofer. You're about to give birth to a son that will prepare the way for the birth of the son. Hey, By the way, just a real quick sub-note here. When you think God's not listening, he is. When you think he's not hearing, he is. His timing is better than yours. When you think that he is silent, he's not. His waiting does not mean he doesn't care. All right? Super important for us to remember that. He is waiting for the perfect moment to do more than what you're asking. What happens if God answers his prayer when he prayed it? You ever think about that? If the first time Zechariah and Elizabeth prays, Lord, will you please give us a son? What happens if God answers it then? God doesn't forget and God's timing is perfect. So if you think about what child this is, it's easy for us, but this, the, the miraculous births of Samson and Samuel, they're all setting the table for this moment. He's be set apart just like them, but to take it a step further, and this is so very important, he's going to be filled with the Spirit at conception while he's still in the womb. When he is first conceived, filled with the Spirit. So let me just ask you a real reasonable question. When does life begin? At the first breath or at conception? Scripture seems to imply that life begins at conception. That's when John the Baptist first received the Holy Spirit. This makes it clear, doesn't it? If you believe the Scriptures and are not tempted to rewrite them to fit your context. See, in the Old Testament... God's Spirit would come upon special individuals for specific purposes and times. But this child is actually filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. That's kind of hard for us to imagine. But why does it get to be true of John the Baptist? Well, it's because John represents a bridge between God's promises and God's fulfillment. In other words, think of John the Baptist as the page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I know it's... If the Old Testament and the New Testament is broken up by the life of Jesus Christ, we have to consider John the Baptist is actually the last Old Testament prophet. But he is also the very first to be filled with the Spirit of God and minister during the age of fulfillment. John the Baptist is an anomaly, an incredible anomaly. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says that John will turn God's people back to God. This turning is another way of saying repentance. It's actually, it means to return, to come back to something that you already knew. a pistrafo, to turn the body. Oftentimes when the Bible says, and Jesus turned, it's the same word. It means to pay specific attention to something. And so what John the Baptist is going to do is to require Israel to pay specific attention to someone. To return to its proper place. So it makes sense why John is described as ministering in the spirit and the power of Elijah because Elijah had preached the message of repentance to the nation of Israel, which unfortunately was largely ignored. But this turning and this repentance that Gabriel envisions for John the Baptist's ministry in verse 17 is that it's going to prepare people for reconciliation. Now here's what I want you to see. Be patient as we work through this passage because we're going to make pretty clear application near the end. There's two different ways that John the Baptist is going to get people ready for this. Number one, his birth is going to bring about joy. And it's going to establish a a promised fulfillment of Scripture. And in addition to that, it affects vertical relationships and horizontal relationships. John's birth is going to prepare Israel for the coming King. Okay so this this birth of Jesus is going to set things right between God's people and their and his creator But not only that, but John's message, once this relationship is corrected, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Well, believe it or not, Malachi chapter 3, you get around verse 15 or so, all the way to the end of the chapter. The very last thing that we hear is there is a prophet coming in the wilderness that is going to make ready the way of the Lord. And he is going to take the father's hearts and turn them to the children. The very first thing what we hear in the book of Luke after 430 years of silence is, Here he is, the one we've been waiting on. Now Israel should have been expecting him. But 430 years is a long time to wait for a promise. When he has prepared God's people, suddenly it says in Malachi chapter 3, the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And I want you to notice this from Malachi chapter 3, is that the Lord is speaking, but he is using Jesus as the fulfillment. The Lord will come. God says he will come. This is Jehovah will come. Here, Jesus, the promised Messiah, is referred to as God incarnate. And he will come into his temple. That also is very important. Because on day 8 of Jesus' birth, he's going to come into the temple. But he establishes his ministry by going into the temple and turning the tables over. You remember? That's the first time they were like, wow, who is this guy that has all this authority? Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of that. John the Baptist is the perfect fulfillment of the forerunner of that. So with the introduction... Of this prophet that Malachi had foreseen, the Lord will come into his temple. Now, we've got to do a little bit of Old Testament. For those of you who like history, this is not really history, this is prophecy. But in Ezekiel chapter 10, Ezekiel tells Israel that the Lord has left the building. Go back and read that in Ezekiel chapter 10, and you will see that Ezekiel's not prophesying, he is declaring God's glory has left the temple. Because of their insurmountable sin, their refusal to repent, their ongoing uh, lifestyles of going through the motions, God is sick of it. His, pro- His presence is sick of it. And he left. Now, there was only three prophets that ministered between Ezekiel and John the Baptist. And that's Daniel for just a few years, Haggai, Zechariah, not John the Baptist's dad, and Malachi. Only three prophets had been there to say, Remember, 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 but not, Thus saith the Lord. There had been no, Thus saith the Lord, since Ezekiel said, God doesn't live here anymore. So they go to the temple day after day after day, and the last thing they know about the temple is Ezekiel in chapter 10 said, He doesn't live here anymore. But they're still being faithful. Ezekiel chapter 42, Ezekiel said, But a day will come when God's glory will fill the temple again. Little did we know that that's when Jesus goes in to turn the going through the motions over. So with the birth of John, Malachi, and the power and spirit of Elijah... When Zechariah is told by the angel, your son is the son that will proclaim the son. Here's what Zechariah heard. The Lord Almighty's coming back? God's glory is coming back to the temple. Zechariah and Elizabeth's son gets to be this prophet. His life and his mission is to get God's people ready. Can you imagine the excitement of the parents? Zechariah couldn't. He should have. I mean, God had accomplished a very similar thing in the life of Abraham and Sarah. He'd done the same thing with uh, uh, Isaac and Rebekah. He'd done the same thing with Manoah and his wife, with Samson. He'd done the same thing with Hannah and her husband, Samuel's parents. He's familiar with the prophecies that we just read from Malachi. On top of all that, he's got an angel standing right in front of him saying, here's what's going to happen, just want to give you a heads up. He still doesn't believe it. Now listen, I'm with Gabriel on this one, Zechariah. I think he made that noise too. I think it adds value. So Zechariah is actually disciplined for his unbelief. He's rewarded for his faithfulness and immediately he's disciplined for his unbelief. But even in his discipline, it's going to be a sign of God's favor. Because he's going to go outside and this discipline is going to be a testimony that God's using he and his wife. And they're going to bring about the salvation of all Israel through their son. Now, it probably would have been easier just to find another family who would believe. Zechariah found out that it's easier to say you believe than it actually is To believe. I mean all his life. And he's an old man. He's always been saying he's believing. Until he had to act on it. And I would say to us. Who have found it very easy to believe. In our generations. It's easy to say you believe. Until you have to act on it. Who would have thought that God would bring discipline as a tool. That brings Zechariah to trust in God's word. Now there's an irony in Zechariah's discipline. Uh, He and the nation had grown to believe that God was mute. And now to prove that God's not, you're going to be mute. If you're taking notes, write this down and remind yourself of this and others when they struggle. God's word and God's promises were present all along. He just doesn't work according to our timetable. God always knew what he was going to do. So when it seems like God is silent, we kind of get on with life, muscle through disappointments, we distract ourselves, sometimes we even go burn incense at the altar. We say we believe, we talk about our belief, we listen to what the world has to offer, though, We maintain our godly living and go through our godly motions, but we're not really trusting Him. I think we're really seeing that firsthand in our country right now. We're claiming a form of godliness, but we're denying the power. That's what Paul said that we would do during these days. I sense a growing pressure of frustration, even in the body of Christ. Uh, Maybe you sense it, maybe you don't, but sides are drawn, arguments are developed, sides are taken. But those who are in the Spirit, who have the Spirit born in them already, are able to love people into restoration, right? That's what Scripture says. We are given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, now watching TV helps distract us and watching the news and finding people who agree with us. But listen, it won't bring peace. That never brings joy. It might bring majority. It might bring strength to your worldly confidence it will never bring abundant living. It never will. When one social media platform takes away our voice, we just create another one that gives us the same voice. This, and I'm not complaining against that, I'm just saying it's a microcosm that, that is a trap for us. I'm not advocating one or the other uh, for sure. But I'm just saying we have to be very, very careful. It's not going to end. It can't. It is the way of the world. And if, if this lesson surprises you, uh, go ahead and read the end of the book, and you'll see. And I'm just preparing you. I just don't think it gets better than this. I think it's going to continue. And we, as brothers and sisters, have got to learn how to love one another so that we can practice loving the nation's Because these may be our best days of preparation for more difficult days. And if we sit around waiting for easier days, they may not come. And we will be unprepared for more difficulty. But if we leverage our opportunities right now, when more days of difficulty come, our muscle will be ready. And I want to encourage us to do that. You know, God's peace lives in a people when God's in the temple anytime that God's presence is in the temple God's people are at peace and Paul comes along and says do you not know that you are the temple so if God dwells in us ought we not to be at peace and when we have peace wouldn't we give peace Think about your trajectory right now in your life. You know, when it comes to church work, I have, I can't, tell, I mean, I don't even know how to quantify how much research I've done over the last nine months to figure out how to do things I was never taught how to do. And one of the things that they say is most churches are severely in trouble, uh, financially and uh, in, in spiritually. Uh, leadership all of these things but what all of the leading experts say is that whatever a church is experiencing right now it, uh, it was exacerbated by three years so in other words whatever a church is experiencing right now that's where they were heading in three years anyway it just it just put them on a fast track right or five years from now I don't know that you can truly quantify that what I am saying is I thank God for our opportunities right now because I feel like we're incredibly healthy for our opportunities. I thank God for the people that he has been bringing us that's going to help us into the future continue to carve out new territory for his kingdom. I am not even a little bit concerned about how God is going to use this church. But I also know that what God, what has been called out over the last nine months and put everything else on a rapid growth cycle Uh, or decline is also happening to individual people. And I want us to recognize that because we are on a trajectory. This trajectory will not go back and reestablish something that's gone. Whatever direction we're headed in right now, that's the direction we're actually headed in spiritually. There is no neutral. We can't get comfortable going through the motions hoping that one day the Spirit will return because the Spirit is already here and He lives inside of us. So that means today we can be at peace and today we can bring peace into the lives of those around us. If that's not happening, it's because God is not filling the temple that we're responsible for. I want to remind you that God is not silent. He has spoken. He continues to speak. The problem is we aren't listening. And when he does speak, we tell him we're not really sure that that's true. Or we hear what he says, but we don't really believe. When he says, I have come to give you abundant life, we say, really? You call this abundant life? Or he says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we say, when? Because these are not the desires of my heart right now. I don't seem to be getting any of those. God is speaking and He wants to speak through us. But if we aren't listening, if we're not trusting, if we're not obeying, He won't. When Gabriel shows up and speaks His word of promise to Zechariah, it's not that the promise is lacking. His promise of Zechariah is incredible. In fact, it's so incredible, Zechariah couldn't believe it. But let me ask you what promises are you building your life around? Is it the promise that money can buy you security? that family can buy your happiness, that friends can buy you a wonderful life. What do you make of God's promises? What are you trusting God for? How is God currently using you? Which takes more faith, that God will do it or that God has done it? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I would like to ask. I've always often thought, am I would I be willing to believe what God's going to do in a promised Messiah? Which is easier to believe? Honestly, I think we got it easier. Because we see the evidence of Jesus Christ. They trusted in the promises. But his timing is perfect. And your sense of need, your sense of want and expectation isn't perfect. There needs to be preparation to receive Jesus. A true turning, a returning. This brings about peace with God and the peace of God, and this is only possible because the Spirit of God that lives in you already. Listen, you are John the Baptist. You are the one who paves the way for the Messiah to come into the lives of those around you. You are the voice in the wilderness. Preparing the way for people to be able to see Jesus through you. We're like Zechariah, though, going to the temple, making our declarations, but not believing the promises and implementing them. You know, you can live righteously and you can live blamelessly and yet remain unbelieving in the promises of God. Go to church, read, sacrifice, but not at peace and not expecting a movement of God to keep His promises to you and to those that you know. But this is a day for us to believe and declare. That actually seems to be the call of Christmas. is to trust God's faithfulness, His promises, and our future. Zechariah's discipline was for him, but it was also a sign for others. God made a promise to send a great prophet to prepare His people for the return of the Lord. And here, that spirit-filled prophet is in the womb of an elderly, God-fearing woman. Least likely candidate. Listen, when you are tempted to doubt God's presence, to doubt God's promises, consider the miraculous conceptions of Samson, Samuel, and now John the Baptist. God is always at work. And the God who accomplished these miracles are still at work today. If you feel dry and you feel empty and you feel like you're just going through the motions He can give you life again. He can turn you around. He can restore the relationship with Him and restore a relationship with others. He can turn your skeptical and doubtful heart because that thing grows cold quick. And He can give you a heart that trusts His Word and that stands on His Word and that gives His Word away. But you have to ask Him to take that cold heart and make it warm again. I'm almost finished, but I want, to, I want to finish up by reading verse 57. Now the time for, came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And when they have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. After all, it was his responsibility. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, His name, what? Is John. You call him whatever you want. He already has a name. His name is John and they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard him laid up their hearts, saying, When then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, listen, this is crazy that the angel told Zechariah, You're going to name him John, which, by the way, means Jehovah gives good gifts. Jehovah gives good gifts. Elizabeth said, what's his name going to be? Everybody thought it was going to be Zachariah. That's what you do. And this old couple who had been sterile from the very beginning and prayed and labored over and over and over for a child. When they were able to finally have a child, here's what they said. He don't belong to our family name. He's not ours. The joy that we have comes from knowing that he belongs to the Lord. The thing that they had prayed about their entire life, they gave away in a heartbeat. Because the Lord had finally spoken. They had heard a fresh word from him. He had fulfilled his promise. Now, in the meantime, Mary is also having encounters with Gabriel. I'm not going to tell that story. We'll hold that for a week or so. But when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth... And she's months and months pregnant now, Elizabeth is. When Mary walks up, you remember what happens? When Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, John, the prophet, leaped for joy because he could sense. And Elizabeth knew when she heard Mary's voice, you're the one that my baby is paving the way for. And it says she was brought to Joy. Over and over we see this little baby bringing joy into people's lives over and over until he's out in the wilderness doing what he called, was called to do. What if God would have answered the first time they prayed? What if they didn't trust in the sovereignty of God? What if, what if God truly treated them the way they were acting like they believed God. He's silent, he's uninvolved, and he's not really there. What if God would have just went ahead and found a new people? That's not the way God works, and I'm here to remind you of that. When you feel like you've given up in the thing that you want so desperately, the life that you want to live, when you give that over to the Lord and you allow him to birth in you what his plan is, I'm telling you, it'll bring joy to you and joy to the people around you. And that's ultimately what we want, isn't it? That's what Jesus has come to give us. In fact, glad tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. But here's the the deal. First, there must be preparation. Right with God, right with people. And when God's presence enters the temple again, there is peace in the temple But not just for the people in the temple. But for all the citizens of the kingdom. And I hope that you can see your responsibility in that. Your responsibility is to live blamelessly and upright. And to be able to convey the presence of God everywhere we go. Nothing. There is not a power on earth that can subvert that. That can get in the way of that. There's not a relationship that can't be Reconciled and remedied. There's not a sin that can't be forgiven. So I want to encourage you this morning stay steadfast. If you're experiencing a 430 year of silence, remember God's promises. What God promises to do, He will do. And do not get caught up just going through the motions, waiting for something else. Trust Him. Spend time with Him, not just reading about Him, in His presence. And then give that presence away. You are a conduit of his kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for this ongoing consistency of when we have done all we can do. You're waiting for the perfect moment to prove your faithfulness. So Lord, whatever it is that we're praying about. Help us to understand that you are already aware. I pray, though, that we would be good at evaluating our own heart and that we wouldn't be caught up just going through the motions. There is no doubt in my mind that Zachariah was convinced that he believed your word until he heard it. So, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get caught in the same trap of going through the motions and being comfortable with your things but not being comfortable with your presence. Lord, there are no shortcuts and there are no substitutions to being disciple makers. So help us, Lord, to practice what we say we believe and not just be stagnant, cold-hearted, rigid, religious. Help us to be alive and vibrant. Help us depend upon you and to trust you daily. And may there not be times of silence in our life. So Lord, fill our temple so that we may radiate your presence in the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? This morning, this, this message begin to take a life of its own there's so much in it and so I know that this goes in lots of directions but really what I want us to do as a takeaway is I want us just to ask ourselves where are we really I mean you got the most favored priest in the most favored place at the most favored time but he realized he was just going through the motions I want to encourage you this morning. May we not be a people that go through the motions? How do I know if I'm just going through the? Mo- How do you know until you're tested if you're just going through the motions? Well, you can look at what you're producing around you. So look around in your daily habits, in your daily lives, in your daily thoughts. What are you producing? Who are you producing? Are you producing the roadway that people will be able to see Jesus? Are you producing a path that other people will be able to see Jesus from watching your life and testimony? Is your life helping turn people to have a proper perspective of who Jesus is? Or are we just waiting on some angel to streak across the sky and do our work for us? I want you just to spend a moment. Let's just spend a moment in prayer together and ask the Lord to reveal to us our own heart and, and to try to evaluate spiritually where our trajectory is headed, both for our life and for the life of the generation that comes after us. What are we doing to invest in the lives of those around us? we pray this prayer and I am going to leave you with this prayer I want you to truly live in the expectation of the answer Lord reveal to me who I really am but give me a soft heart so that I will believe trust and obey your word give me fruit for my faith thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that we don't live in silence. Oh, there's no new revelation, but that's the last thing you told us, that you've told us all you're going to tell us. And now we have the fortunate privilege of just watching you work. And Lord, we don't need a fresh word. We don't need a fresh encounter. And the reason for that is we already have the Spirit birthed in us. He is alive and He is active. And so, Lord, this morning, I just pray that you would, through this holiday season, through this coronavirus season, give us a smile on our face, uh, kind of a kick in our step. Give us peace to give away. May our words be seasoned with grace. May our hearts be soft and pliable to serve. Help us to truly radiate what it looks like to live in your kingdom. And when people hear our voice, Lord, may they leap with joy because they hear the voice of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.